doing, aren't you? Because I sure don't know what I'm doing. But I'm glad he knows what he's doing. Take your Bibles, turn with me please over to the book of Psalms in the middle of your Bible. Psalm chapter number 34. Psalm 34. Lord willing tonight we will pick back up with part 9 of the Lord gave the word. And we will uh, look at the translation, start looking at the translation of the Word of God, give a little bit of history. Tonight, I will also have with me, I will have a handout. I'm not going to hand them out. I'm going to have them available if you want one. And what it will be is it will be a full list of resources for those of you that may be interested in doing some additional reading or studying about the Bible subject, how we got our Bible, where it came from, the whole the whole uh, ball of wax, as we say, there is a lot uh, to study. Uh, what you're getting from the pulpit really is just a preaching series. Uh, there are books that thick on the subject that we have been dealing with. And if you want to get that far out in the weeds, you're welcome to do it. I'm just not going to do it from up here. A lot of history, a lot of documentation, a lot of names and dates and places and getting into the details of all the different types of manuscripts and where they came from, how they were discovered, and, and how that some of them were changed and some of them were, uh, had full, full of errors. And that's the reason why we have a lot of uh, Bible translations today that are inaccurate. They were translated from bad manuscripts. And so uh, I'm not going to get into a lot of detail about all of that aspect of it, but if you're interested in it, I'll have a sheet of paper. I'll have a stack of them back there. Um, um, I'm just curious so I don't waste a lot of paper printing out a bunch of copies of the list. How many of you might be interested in seeing that list? Okay. All right. So, oh my goodness. All right. So we'll make about 75 copies of that. Brother Leader, I looked at you when I said we, I meant you. Um, <laughs> I'll email that to you. Make sure that gets printed and put on the Welcome Center. And it's a whole bunch, and the books, it's just going to be the name of the book and the author. You can go and find it yourself online, multiple places. And I'll say more about that tonight. But uh, we're going to just get more into uh, the, the applications and just the, the, we're keeping it on the surface. I don't want to get too deep and too dry with this subject. Um, but uh, a lot of people have commented about how much they've enjoyed it, how much they've benefited from it. And so we're going to preach another message or two and look at the translations. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to bring different versions and up here and just do some comparisons. Let you see, let you see for yourself. I'll probably even have it on the screen where you can see for yourself things that they've omitted, things that they've left out, things that they've changed uh, so that you will have a better understanding here at Calvary Baptist Church as to why we use the authorized, the old King James Bible. It's not just because we're used to it. It's not because my daddy told me to or my granddaddy used it. We use it for a reason. All right. And folks that are changing are not just changing their Bibles, they're changing their doctrine as well. And so we'll see that tonight and uh, maybe next week, try to wrap that up. And it'll end up being about a 10 part series. And uh, so thank you so much for your patience. I know a lot of preachers, when they preach a series, they just preach it back to back to back. But I really felt like God was intervening before revival and just kind of needed to change up a little bit. Uh, so, amen. We've got plenty of time, nothing but time, uh, to preach what God lays on our heart. And uh, to this morning, I really feel like after our revival, this is really what God would have us to look at. By now, you should be in Psalm 34. Stand with me, please. Psalm chapter 34. Begin reading in verse number one. The Bible says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. 
My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. And our text this morning will magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I want to preach this morning on these verses. Magnify the Lord with me. Father, we want to thank you this morning for the opportunity to be in the house of God once again. We pray now that you'd bless the preaching of your word, Lord, as we go through this psalm and we highlight the things, Lord, that we could magnify your name about this morning. We pray that you'd be exalted and lifted up is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. I, I find this word magnify very interesting. It's fascinating to me. If you go and do a study, uh, if you've got a computer program where you just got a concordance and you go look up all the times in your Bible that the word magnify is used Many of them are people magnifying themselves uh, as opposed to magnifying the Lord. I noticed that this text verse is back on, our, on the wall back here uh, by the Welcome Center. Or over, by, over here, here it is, uh, together in praise. Our theme this year is together. And we find that word in these verses in verse number three. Let us exalt his name together. But that word magnify, I guess, is what really... Uh, I wanted to look at this morning. Several years ago in our Christian school, uh, I believe we looked at this word. It was one of our themes. And in chapel each uh, week, we looked at many verses and explained to our young people how to magnify the Lord and what that involves. But I just felt like this morning, God wanted us to exalt and magnify him. And I will use those words often when I'm testifying or praying, Lord, we want to exalt you. We want to magnify your name. That's biblical, by the way. But the word magnify is fascinating to me. I looked it up in the 1828 Webster's Dictionary. I love that dictionary. That's the one I go to. That's, the, that's my favorite. Uh, but the word magnify in the 1828, it literally means to make great or greater, to increase the apparent dimensions of a body. And then it refers to the convex lens magnifying the bulk of the body to the eye, okay? So it also means to make great in representation, to exalt, to exalt in description or praise, uh, to elevate or to raise in estimation. That's what the word in the English means, to magnify, magnify the Lord with me. And I, I brought this out a few years ago with our young people, but I wanna bring it out this morning that a magnifying glass doesn't make anything bigger than it already is. It just makes you see it better. You don't put a magnifying glass over an ant and the ant gets bigger. It stays the same size. But because of the magnifying glass, it looks closer and it looks bigger and you can see more of the details. And in school, we used to have the microscopes. I mean, uh, my dad used to talk about in high school, he said, He'll never forget it. Long as he lived, one of the biggest things that cured him of wanting to kiss girls. He said, one of the most beautiful girls in the classroom, the professor said, I want you to come up and had her kiss a slide and slide it under the magnifying glass of the microscope and all the boys got to see all those little creepy crawlies that was on that slide. He said, that broke us up from wanting to kiss that girl ever again. They were already there. You just couldn't see it. Can I say this this morning? We can't make God any bigger than he already is. Let's just go ahead and establish that this morning. When he said magnify the Lord with me, we cannot make God any bigger than he already is because we serve a big God, amen? And in 1 Kings chapter 8, verse number 27, the Bible says, but will God indeed dwell on the earth? 
Behold the heaven and heaven of heavens cannot contain thee. That's a big God. When you think about how big the universe is, when you look at those Hubble telescope pictures and you see how far out universe goes and the galaxies and the stars and the, and the, and the Milky Way and all the constellations and the Bible says the heaven and heaven of heavens cannot contain thee. We serve a big God. I don't think you and I can make God any bigger than what he already is. Can I get a witness? In fact, one of my favorite verses in the Bible that I refer to from time to time is Psalm 113, where David said in verse number four, the Lord is high above all nations and his glory above the heavens. Verse five of Psalm 113, who is like unto the Lord our God who dwelleth on high, who humbleth himself to behold the things that are in heaven. Well, think about that for just a minute. He's so big, he has to get down on his knees to see what's going on in the heavens. Wow. We serve a big God. I could preach for about a month on how big God is. I want you to turn with me quickly. Keep your place here. Turn over to your right to the book of Isaiah. I've just got to read a few verses just this morning because I want to magnify the Lord and we just want to emphasize the fact that we serve a big God. One of the messages that Brother Ingram preached during the revival was he preached on the perseverance of prayer. And he says that God is insulted when we don't ask him to do things that are hard for us or impossible for us. He gets excited when we ask him to do hard things. Why? Because he's a big God. There's nothing that God cannot do. I love the statement that he made that prayer can do anything that God can do. And God can do anything. Amen. Look at Psalm chapter 40. Look at starting in verse number 12. The Bible says, who hath measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and meted out heaven with the span. He measured out heaven. God measured out heavens like you and I would measure a window for curtains. Measured out the heaven with the span and comprehended the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales. We preached last Sunday morning during the 10 o'clock hour on rend the heavens and come down that the mountains might flow down at thy presence. And those mountains that you and I think are just absolutely impossible to move, God sets them on the scale, weighs them out. He knows exactly how big they are. He weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance. Who hath directed the spirit of the Lord, or being his counselor, hath taught him. I heard preachers when I was a kid say this, has it ever occurred to you that nothing's never occurred to God? <laughs> Who hath taught him, the Bible says, verse number 14, with whom took he counsel? and who instructed him and taught him in the path of judgment and taught him knowledge and showed to him the way of understanding. By the way, when you and I pray, we're not telling God anything he doesn't already know. When you and I pray, we're not informing God. We're not bringing him up to date. We're not bringing him up to speed on where we are spiritually and what we're struggling with and what we need. He already knows all of that. When God asked Adam in the Garden of Eden, Adam, where art thou? It wasn't because he didn't know where Adam was. He just wanted Adam to recognize where he was. Come on. You can't tell God anything. He already knows. Bible says in Romans chapter number eight that when we pray, the Holy Spirit already knows what we have need of before we ask it. 
It's amazing that God many times waits for us to ask for something. He knows we already need it. He's just waiting for us to ask it. And we have not because we ask not. Look at what it says in verse number 15. Behold, the nations are as a drop of a bucket. That's a little southern saying. Drop in a bucket. Means it's nothing. The nations are as a drop of a bucket and are counted as the small dust of the balance, behold, he taketh up the isles, the islands, the isles, as a very little thing. And Lebanon is not sufficient to burn. Lebanon was known for their cedar trees, which are extremely flammable. Lebanon's not sufficient to burn, nor the beast thereof sufficient for a burnt offering. There are not enough trees in Lebanon uh, to burn, and there are not enough animals on the planet to offer up a sufficient sacrifice. Are y'all getting this? All nations before him are as nothing. They are counted to him less than nothing in vanity. You look at the nations and you look at their power and you look at their, 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 their industry and their commerce and you look at their, 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 uh, their GDP and you look at their abilities and their monies and their assets and the Bible says they're nothing, they're less than nothing. Verse number 18, to whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness will you compare unto him? He says, the workman, in verse 19, melteth a graven image, and the goldsmith spreadeth it over with, with gold and casteth silver change, chains. He that is so impoverished that he hath no oblation chooseth a tree that will not rot. He seeketh unto him a cunning workman to prepare a graven image that shall not be moved. He's making fun of the false gods and false idols that man makes to try and represent a God that you cannot compare to. <laughs> Verse number 21, have you not known? Have you not heard? Hath it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? He it is that sitteth upon the circle of the earth and the inhabitants thereof as are as grasshoppers that stretcheth out the heavens as a curtain and spreadeth them out as a tent to dwell in. What about that? Got up this morning and you made your bed and you spread your bed spread or your duvet cover, spread it out over your bed. He said he spreads the heavens out as a place to dwell in. Are y'all getting this? Bringeth the judges, uh, princes rather, verse 23, that bringeth the princes to nothing. Think about the princes over there in, in, in Saudi Arabia that are worth billions, driving around in these gold-plated Lamborghinis, living in these palaces, having all these servants, and all of this just absolute, unbelievable that, uh, money and wealth, and they just, I mean, the, the things that they spend money on. He says he, maketh the, he bringeth the princes to nothing. He maketh the judges of the earth as vanity. Yea, they shall not be planted. Yea, they shall not be sown. Yea, their stock shall not take root in the earth, and he shall also blow upon them, and they shall wither, and the whirlwind shall take them away as stubble. To whom then will you liken me, or shall I be equal, saith the Holy One. Boy, we could just go on and on and on. Lift up your eyes on high and behold who hath created these things that bringeth out their host by number. He calleth them all by name by the greatness of his might for that he is strong in power not one faileth. Why sayest thou, O Jacob, and speakest, O Israel, my way is hid from the Lord and my judgment is passed over from my God. Hast thou not known? 
Hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary? There is no searching of his understanding. In verse 127, he said, how could you say that God doesn't know where you're at and what's going on? He said, he knows everything. Back to our text. You and I can't make God any bigger than he already is. But what David is saying in these verses is we can magnify and exalt and extol the Lord. The reason why I feel like God laid these verses on my heart is we just came out of a week of revival and one of the products of revival is praise. Say, preacher, where'd you get that? In Psalm chapter number 85 and verse number six, the psalmist says, wilt thou not revive us again that thy people may rejoice in thee. Boy, if there's anything we ought to have taken away from the last week of preaching, and Brother Ingram said it over and over and over again. He said it nearly in every message. He said, God, I cannot, but God can. How many times did he say that? We cannot, but God can. One thing we ought to have taken away from the revival is that we serve a big God. And what is interesting is the context in which these verses were given to us. And I want to just drill down for a little bit and just look at the text, look at the context. If we can try to understand this Psalm of David, where he was at at this stage in his life and make an application this morning. The first thing that I notice in verse number one is the continuation of my praise. I will bless the Lord. What's the next three words, church? At all times. Some of y'all didn't say that because you got convicted just reading ahead of me. I will bless the Lord, say it with me, at all times. His praise shall, what's that next word? Continually be in my mouth. What about that? In Psalm chapter 71, verse number six, David said, by thee have I been holding up from the womb. Thou art he that took me out of my mother's bowels. My praise shall be continually of thee. I think that word continue means never ending, nonstop. Amen. Praise the Lord and don't quit. Psalm 71 verse 14, but I will hope continually and will yet praise thee more and more. What about that? The continuation of my praise. Now here's what's interesting to me. At this stage in David's life, if you've got a Bible with, with the notes right above it, right there under where it says Psalm 34, it probably says something like this, a Psalm of David when he changed his behavior before Abimelech who drove him away and he departed. Is that what your Bible's saying? Yeah. You know, I want you to turn with me over to 1 Samuel 21. Let's, let's, let's figure out where he was at. Let's figure out where he, what was going on in 1 Samuel chapter number 21 when he wrote this Psalm. Because it is interesting to me to discover that this is a very low time in David's life. And he's praising God and magnifying his name. He said, preacher, I'm having a hard time. I just don't really feel like praising the Lord. I'm having a, I'm having a difficult time. I'm going through, a, going through a struggle, going through a battle. I just don't know if I've got it in me. Let's look at what David did. In, 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 in 1 Samuel chapter number 21, by the way, the context of this story is he's having to flee for his life. He killed Goliath in chapter 17. In chapter 18, which we'll look at in just a second, he's promoted to the captain of over thousands. 
Saul is just eat up with envy and jealousy. Tried to kill him twice, tried to pin him to the wall with a javelin on two separate occasions while David was serving and ministering to him, playing his heart, trying to be a blessing. David had to flee, run for his life in chapter number 19. He's just now separated in chapter 20 from his best friend, Jonathan. He has to sneak into the temple in chapter 21. He's, he's surviving off of the bread from the table of showbread. The priest is cooking bread and he's having to eat it in, in, in the scriptures there in verse number four and five. And, 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 and you get down to chapter number, uh, verse number 10 of chapter 21, you find David very, very unusual place in his life. Now keep in mind, David says, I will continue to praise the Lord. His praise will always be in my mouth. And the Bible tells us in our text, I'm not making this up, it was when he wrote this psalm when he changed his behavior before Abimelech, is what it says. Well, you go to chapter 21, verse number 10, Abimelech, also known as Achish, same person, same story that we find here in verse number, chapter 21, verse number 10. I noticed I found it very interesting that David was able to continue to praise God when he was going through some extremely difficult times in his life. The first one that I noticed was he was continuing to praise God even though he was going through a time of fearfulness. The Bible tells us in verse number 10, David arose and fled that day for fear of Saul. Fear of Saul. Well, we don't see David scared many times in his life. We find a lot of people that were fearful of David. We find a lot of people that were scared of David. We don't find too many times where David, who was a, a, a warrior, the Bible tells us he was a man of blood. The, the Bible tells us uh, that he was a great man. Here he is, he's afraid of Saul. But that's not all. He went to Achish, the king of Gath, and the servants of Achish said unto him, is not this David the king of the land? Did they not sing one to another of him and dance and sing, Saul hath slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. And David laid up these words in his heart and was sore afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. So David is at a time in his life when he is uncharacteristically afraid. Now some people are just pretty much always afraid. Some people are afraid of everything. When we was little, we called them fraidy cats, scaredy cats. Scared of everything. Scared to get up on the monkey bars. Scared to go down the slide. Scared to do everything. Some people, that's not their nature is to be afraid. But can I tell you something? I don't care how bold you are. I don't care how courageous you are. And I don't care how many victories you've got. I don't care how many notches you've got in your, in your gun. I promise you there will be days when you will find yourself afraid. And it's aggravating and it's frustrating, but it's real. Fear's real. He wrote this chapter at a time of fearfulness. One of the worst times of his life. I'm sure David would like to just forget this whole story in the latter part of chapter number 21. He was terrified of Saul in verse number 10. He was petrified and terrified of Achish in verse number 12. By the way, the name Achish, I looked it up this morning, it literally means I will terrify a man. That's what it means. His name means I will terrify you. And guess what he did to David? He terrified him. It was a time of fearfulness, yet he still continued to praise. Number two, it was a time of forgetfulness. 
So where do you get that from, preacher? Well, the Bible tells us in verse number 12 that David laid up these words in his heart and was sore afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. Where have we heard Gath before? I believe that's where Goliath came from. I believe Goliath was the giant he just killed a few chapters prior. I believe Goliath of Gath was the, the, the man that stood out there, this huge giant of a man that stood out there for 40 days, twice a day, and blasphemed God and brought reproach. And the whole army was petrified and fled away. David heard him throwing out the challenge one time, and the Bible says he ran toward him with a sling, and he killed Goliath of Gath. Now he's facing the king of Gath, and all the king said was, isn't that David? And David was petrified. I think he forgot. Huh? How many times have we forgotten? How many times right after a victory, right after an amazing moving of God, have we forgotten just how big God is? Reminds me of Elijah running from Jezebel and up under the juniper tree wishing he could die after he just prayed fire down from heaven that consumed the sacrifice and 12 barrels of water and then he went out there and killed like 850 prophets of Baal and now all of a sudden he's running from one long tongue woman. I ain't talking about you, I'm talking about Jezebel. He forgot, I mean, right after. And the rain, it hadn't rained. Huh? Went up on the mountain, put his head between his knees and prayed and sent a servant. Am I, am I still right? Am I, am, I, am I got my timeline right on top of Mount Carmel? Saw the cloud the size of a man's hand and all of a sudden it was raining. And he heard that Jezebel wanted to have a meeting with him and he got scared and took off running. Next thing you know, in the next chapter, he's crawled up under a juniper tree wanting to die. Right. Elijah went through a time of forgetfulness. Sure. David in the story is forgotten that God just let him kill the champion of Gath and he's now scared of this king. <laughs> We've done it too. I've done it too. Time of fearfulness, a time of forgetfulness, and it was a time of foolishness. The Bible says in verse 12, he laid up these words in his heart and was so afraid of Achish, the king of Gath, and he changed his behavior before them and feigned himself mad in their hands. Young people, that's just King James 4. He pretended to be crazy. He feigned himself mad and scrabbled on the doors of the gate and let his spittle fall down upon his beard. Are y'all getting this? David, a man after God's own heart that has been anointed by Samuel to be the next king is acting like a crazy man, acting like a wild man. He's scrabbling on the gates and he's just drooling all over his beard. He changed his behavior. He's acting like a fool. He's acting like an idiot. In verse number 14, then said Achish to his servants, Lo, you see the man is mad. Wherefore then have you brought him to me? Have I need of madmen that you have brought this fellow to play the madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? Get him out of here. This guy's crazy. David's going through a time of fearfulness. He's going through a time of forgetfulness. He's going through a time of foolishness. And yet the Bible tells us 
If it wasn't in there, I'd have a hard time believing it. David said, I'm going to keep praising God. I guess my question to you this morning is, what excuse do you have to not praise God? David is at an uncharacteristically low place in his life. In fact, you don't ever see David acting quite like this ever again. This is, a, I mean, David is having a bad day. His whole world has collapsed on him. He's had to leave his wife, his house, his best friend. He's had to leave the king that he loved, the king. He's had to leave his place of ministry. He's had to leave his place of service. He's had to leave a group of people that loved him. And now he's out here surrounded by the enemy and it's done got in his head. And yet, the psalm says, I will praise the Lord. <laughs> See, praising the Lord is not something that you only do when you feel like it. Or when you're right with God or when you're spiritual or when you're hitting it all, all eight cylinders, we praise God because of who he is, not because of who we are. Amen. We see the continuation of our praise, but then secondly, we see the center of our praise. Look at this. Look at this in verse number two. Back in Psalm 34, look at what he says. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. See, my soul shall make her boast in the Lord. I can praise God, not because of me, but because of him. Yeah. I can praise the Lord, I can magnify the Lord this morning, not because of who I am, but because of who he is. I want to just back up. I want to back up. I was just thinking about the things that David could have boasted about in verse number two, if He'd have been thinking like a lot of us. Back up with me if you would, back to where we were. But I want you to look at chapter number 18. I just pulled out a couple of verses out of chapter number 18. He just killed Goliath. He just um, has been uh, attacked by Saul in verses number 10 and 11 and 12 of chapter 18. But I'm going to just show you a couple of things that David could have been boasting about that he said, I'm not going to boast about myself. I'm not going to brag about myself. And the Bible tells us in, in, in uh, I mean, let's just be honest. After this ordeal in Gath, I believe we could all agree, he probably didn't feel like he had much to brag about. Have you ever, well, I know you have, because I have, bragged about yourself when you shouldn't have. Bible says, let another man praise thee. We like to toot our own horn, don't we? <laughs> A lot of people spend their life doing this right here. David could have boasted about some things. He could have boasted, number one, he could have boasted about his reputation in the world. The Bible tells us in chapter 17, he killed the champion of the Philistines. He killed the champion. And the Philistines fled. And the people sang in the streets in chapter number 18 and verse number seven. They sang in the streets, Saul hath slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. And guess what? Somehow or another, without Twitter and Facebook and YouTube, the king of Gath heard about them singing that song and the words of it all the way in Gath. 
And he said, is this not David? Is this not the one that they sang, Saul has killed his thousands and David is ten thousands? He had already had a reputation in the world that he could have been proud of and boasted of, but he didn't. He could have boasted about his reputation. He could have boasted, secondly, about his relationship with God. Look at our text in 1 Samuel chapter 18 and verse number 12. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him and was departed from him. And from Saul, the Bible tells us in verse number 12 that the Lord was with David. Look at what it says in verse 14. David behaved himself wisely in all of his ways and the Lord was with him. David could have boasted in the fact that God was with him. Can I say something to you this morning? If God is with you, it's not because of you. Boasting about the presence of God in your life and a relationship with God is foolish. He didn't boast about his reputation. He didn't boast about his relationship with God. The Bible says the Lord was with him. The Bible tells us in the previous chapters that when Saul anointed him, the spirit of God came upon David from that day forward. Nobody else in the nation had that. And what does David say in our text this morning? I'm gonna boast in the Lord. I'm not boasting in me. He didn't boast in his, about his reputation. He didn't boast about his relationship with God. He didn't boast in the fact that he had the respect of all the people. In our text, the Bible says in verse number 13, that wherefore Saul removed him from him and made him captain over a thousand. And he went out and came in before the people. And he behaved himself wisely in all of his ways. And the Lord was with him. Therefore, when Saul saw that he behaved himself wisely, he was afraid of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David because he went out and came in before them. He had the respect of the people. The Bible says he could go in and go out and the king was afraid of him and the people respected him and the people loved him and he had been promoted to a position as just a young man, probably a teenager. He has been promoted to be a captain over, what's it say? A thousand men in verse 13. David in Psalm 34 is not boasting about that. How many teenage boys do you know could not boast about being a captain over a thousand? How many young men could boast about, could not boast, wouldn't boast about a king being afraid of them? Or all the people in Israel and Judah loving them? Huh? We use that word bragging rights. He had bragging rights. But you know what he didn't do? Boasting himself. The center of his praise, according to Psalm 34 and verse number two, my soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. What a verse. I say it all the time. I hope you hear me when I say it. God's in this place, not because of us, but in spite of us. God is meeting with us in this church. God's hands on this ministry in spite of me. In spite of y'all. Let's praise him and make him the center of our praise. It's not about us, it's about him. Number three, we see the challenge of our praise. David said, you know what? I'm so excited. I want everybody to join me. I'm so excited about who God is. I'm so in awe of who God is that I don't want to do it by myself. Let's magnify, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I don't want to be the only one. 
I don't want to be the only one that sees God for who he is. I don't want to be the only one that is thankful and grateful to God for the fact that he loves us and blesses us in spite of our fearfulness and in spite of our forgetfulness and in spite of our foolishness, God still sees fit to love us and bless us. Let's praise him together. Let's magnify him together. Magnify the Lord with me. I believe it's a sign of revival when not only are you praising and magnifying God, but you want everybody around you to do it too. Why did we go soul winning yesterday? Why do we walk up and down the streets in this heat and pass out tracks and invite people to church? Because we want people to experience God with us. It's a product of revival. God's people, by the way, were called to praise. Some of y'all, when you get to heaven, you're going to spend the first six months in praise classes figuring out how, learning how. I love to watch people at a ball game jumping up and down, clapping, going crazy over catching a foul ball. They go absolutely crazy. And everybody around them is clapping and they're high, complete strangers. They're high-fiving everybody and they're just, I mean, the camera's zooming on them and they're making a complete fool over themselves over a baseball. They just happen to come close enough to them to get it. And they go sit in church on Sunday morning and act dignified. It's unbelievable. I mean, Brother Sammy Allen used to say it all the time. Brother Sammy used to get folks all worked up. He said, don't get too excited. You're just going to live as long as God lives. Don't get too excited about that. You're just going to live as long as God lives. Don't get too excited, church. You're just never going to die. And he'd do that about three, four, five, six times. And then the average Baptist would go, amen, that's pretty good. First Peter chapter two, verse number nine. Peter said, but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. Come on, bunch of hillbillies. I've seen your truck. I've seen your yard. Royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You ought to just get excited. If you can't get excited about anything else, you ought to get excited about the fact that God turned the light on. You're not in the dark anymore. You're not stumbling around in the dark. You've got answers. You know things. You know people. You know God. He turned the light on. Praise God. Called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. And it is a marvelous light. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse number 15 says, by him therefore let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. Sacrifice of praise. That is the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name. Nonstop. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Praise the Lord. You're good, Lord. You're good. All the time. He's good all the time. You ought to just get in the habit of saying, praise the Lord. Amen. I got to where I respond to text messages. I just say, praise the Lord. Watch the services. The service were a blessing. Thank you for live streaming the services. I say, praise the Lord. Amen. Message was a blessing. Praise the Lord. We visited the church and the church was so friendly and God moved in our hearts. I just say, praise the Lord. 
Amen. It's all about him. Let me close with this. I'm almost done. But I got 12 points I want to throw at you right quick. I'm not going to preach them. Relax. I'm not going to preach 12 points. I'm going to throw them at you. Right here in chapter 34, 12 things that David said that we ought to be able to magnify God about. You ready? If you want to write this down, you can. It'll be on the outlines page in a little bit. Because, number one, because he heareth. We can magnify the Lord because he heareth. Look at verse four. I sought the Lord and he heard me. Look at verse number six. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him. Look at verse number 15. The eyes of the Lord upon the righteous and his ears are open under their cry. Look at verse number 17. The righteous cry and the Lord heareth. Y'all getting this? We can magnify God because we don't have a God that's made out of wood and stone. We've got a God that can hear. When we cry, he can hear. When we pray, he can hear. When we need help, he can hear. Hallelujah. We can magnify the Lord because he heareth. Number two, we can magnify the Lord because he delivereth. Verse four, he delivered me from all my fears. This was a man that had been petrified with fear. He was a man that was letting spit run down his beard and scrabbing on the door and he changed his behavior after the Bible just told us in two places about three chapters before that that he behaved himself wisely and he behaved himself wisely and then he was so afraid he changed his behavior. Have you ever been so afraid that it changed you? You know what he said? He delivered me from my fears. Verse four, verse number six. He saved him out of all of his troubles. The poor man, the Lord heard him. Look at verse number, look at verse number seven. He delivered them. You see that? Verse number 17. He delivered them out of all their troubles. Verse number 18. Man, verse number, verse number 19. Delivered them. He delivereth. We can magnify him because he heareth. We can magnify him because he delivereth. We can magnify him, verse 5, because he comforteth. We can, deliver, we, can, we can magnify him because he encampeth, verse number 7. He encampeth. Angel Lord encampeth round about them that fear him. I like that. He just camps out. Amen. An ever-present ever help in time of trouble. Verse number 8. We can magnify the Lord because he blesseth. He blesseth. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. Verse number nine and 10, we can magnify him because he provideth. Amen. Fear the Lord, ye his saints, for there is no want to them that fear him. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. We can magnify him because he provideth. We can magnify him, verse 15, because he seeth. Not only does he hear, but he sees, verse number 15. The eyes and the face of the Lord, the Bible says, the eyes of the Lord, verse 15, are upon the righteous. God sees you. He knows where you are. We can magnify him, verse number 16, because he avengeth. Praise the Lord for that. We can, we can magnify the Lord, verse number 6 and verse number 18, because he saveth. We can magnify the Lord, verse number 20, because he keepeth. Praise the Lord. I got that right? He keepeth all of his bones. He can, and, and, and we can magnify the Lord, verse number 22, because he redeemeth. There may be some more in there. But that's just the ones I saw when I was just running through it right there at the end. 
plenty of, we could preach on, we could preach another hour on those points right there. On reasons why we can make much of God. Now we can't make him bigger, Dr. Bittner, than he already is, but there are a lot of people that don't know how big he is. And you know what we get to do? We get to hold the magnifying glass. We get to be the one to draw their attention to just how big he is and let them see how close he can be and how wonderful he is and all of his, uh, all of his attributes and his character. God will allow us to magnify the Lord. My message this morning is, let's do it together. Let's magnify God together. A result of revival is praising the Lord, magnifying the Lord. When you look at yourself, when you look in the mirror, there's not much to be impressed with. Every single night, Brother Ingram would preach and I would just think, my goodness, I need this. I got to grow in this area. Huh? I got to tighten up in this area. Did anybody else have that? I got, I got to tighten up. I'm so short, I'm so, I'm, so, I'm so slack, I'm so forgetful, reminding us of things and my heart was stirred and challenged because I was reminded of how good God's been to me in spite of the fact that I'm such a failure. But let's don't boast in ourselves this morning. There's not much to boast about, really. Let's boast about him, let's magnify the Lord, let's, ex let's exalt him and let's praise his name together because he's worthy. And here's what the Bible says, God inhabits the praise of his people. You want God to manifest himself, you want God to show up, you just start praising him. <laughs> he likes it. He likes it when we praise him. He's worthy. With heads bowed this morning and eyes closed, let me ask you a question. How's your praise life? How you doing in the praising department? How you doing in the magnifying the Lord department? Do you allow your mind to be consumed with yourself? Maybe your successes, maybe your abilities, or maybe even your failures, your inabilities. Either way, this morning, why don't you turn your heart and your eyes to the Lord? And let's praise Him continually. And let His praise be on our lips at all times. When's the last time you just had a real good prayer meeting and all you did was just thank him for all he's done? When people look at your life, do they see a person that is magnifying the Lord? Or are we magnifying ourselves? Let's do it together, church. Let's do it together. There may be somebody here this morning. You're not 100% sure you're saved. You're not 100% sure if you died this morning that you would go to heaven. Can I tell you something on the authority of the word of God? You can know that. You don't have to wait till you die to find out whether or not you're saved. You can know it today. It'd be our greatest honor this, this morning to take a Bible and show you in just a few minutes from the word of God how you could know for sure that you are going to heaven when you die. Would you be, anyone be here this morning and say, Pastor Shiflett, pray for me. I'm not sure I'm saved. I want you to remember me in prayer. Would you just quietly slip your hand up where I can see it and then you can put it back down. Anybody, anywhere, preacher, pray for me. I'm not sure, I'm not sure. We don't want to overlook you. We don't want you to leave this morning if you don't have that settled. If you're watching online, there's a phone number on the screen. You'll text that number, somebody will call you in a few minutes with the Bible and we'll do our best to try to help you over the phone if we can. But if you're here this morning, don't leave if you're not saved. 